Thanks, Chase. Good morning. Uh, it's a, uh, a joy and a pleasure to be with you. Um, to quote the Apostle, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I hope to come to you many times. <laughs> I've been prevented until now. Uh, so uh, thanks very much for uh, having me. And it's a particular joy to be here with Ben. Uh, because I think probably the first time I ever heard of Nungalinya College, and that's how you say it, Dr. Kuhn, uh, uh, um, was here at the college when uh, Rob and Liana Haynes were serving there with CMS. I, I can't remember now if Rob was the principal, but he was certainly one of the lecturers. And um, uh, I remember a very uh, gripping presentation in chapel uh, from Rob, as this morning has been also. So great to have you here, Ben, and we do thank God for the work of the college, as well as this college. Let us pray. Uh, gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for every good gift that you give to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of this moment to share together, and we pray that in your mercy, by your Holy Spirit, you would bring your word to our hearts in convicting power so that we might see your son, love him, and serve him gladly until he comes. Amen. Uh, well, uh, of course, this is a, uh, a purple passage from Scripture. Um, I think I should probably just set my uh, clock going for your sake, if not for mine. So there we go. Um, after the prayer, I always start the clock after the prayer. Uh, uh, a a well-known um, passage of scripture um, from this uh, glorious gift from God, the letter to the Romans. Uh, but I just want to focus on a particular aspect uh, of these few verses that we've read this morning. This passage is full of Paul's personality. Um, that isn't true of the whole letter, I don't think, although you might think of chapter 9 and Paul's passion for the gospel to come to his own people uh, and the final chapter of the letter. But I think it's important to see that it is framed uh, by this deep personal sense. Uh, 18 times in 10 verses, um, uh, the apostle uses the word I or my. Uh, it's full of affection and personal devotion. Um, it's a little surprising because he hasn't been to see these people yet. He didn't plant this church, but it drips with authentic affection and concern. I thank my God. I remember you in my prayers. I long to see you. Uh, and um, uh, in verse 15, uh, we know verses 16 and 17 are the headline uh, of the letter and their theological riches are carefully unfolded and unpacked. Um, but just look with me at verse 15. The apostle says, I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. And uh, emotionally, that's what we hear in this passage. Eagerness. I thank my God because of your faith in verse 8. I pray that at last by God's will... Uh, the way may be open for me to come to you, in verse 10. I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift and we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, in verse 11. You can taste the eagerness in Paul's words. Now, I wonder if eagerness is the word you would use to describe your spiritual temperature. 
Uh, you're more college students, so people expect you to be spiritually eager. In fact, your presence here is a sufficient demonstration of it for most people. They must be eager beavers. And I trust that you are, by God's grace. Paul says, this is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you. Isn't that refreshing? Uh, I want to suggest it's something we need to hear and something we need to take note of. Uh, if only because after two years of COVID and all of the painful and unpredictable disruption and uh, discouragement that that has brought um, with our city and state uh, recovering from flooding and a kind of relentless sense of powerlessness uh, with the grotesqueries of war in Europe, uh, not to mention whatever personal challenges you find yourself currently faced with, eagerness, especially spiritual eagerness, may seem a little foreign and a little distant. And I wonder if our times, uh, if not our discipleship, uh, is not characterised more by reluctance and hesitancy and uncertainty and anxiety than it is by eagerness. And there are many reasons why it might be so, and validly so, not to be glibly dismissed. But I want to say I think there is a little tonic here in the opening to Romans, a picture held out of apostolic eagerness that is surely intended to offer a pattern uh, and an encouragement to us, as it must have done to its first readers. The Christians in Rome were utterly marginal in a city of perhaps close to a million people. Paul mentions just a handful of house churches. And the Christian, uh, the Christian Jews had already been expelled under Claudius, uh, uh, only now um, regrouping uh, under Nero, and little did they know, nor Paul, that when they would finally meet, the apostle would be in chains. So this letter must have been a great tonic. So I want to talk about eagerness, explained and applied. I think there are at least four grounds for the apostle's eagerness, but I've only got time for two. So uh, we'll just start. Let me take you back to verse 15. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel uh, because it's gar, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Uh, verse 17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. I'm eager to preach to you in, uh, to preach the gospel to you in Rome for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. Let's think of just those two. Uh, um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The opening verses of the letter, of course, remind us of the gospel of which Paul speaks. It is God's gospel, divine good news. It is promised from long ago in scripture, the culmination of God's plans and purposes revealed to his people concerning God's son, Jesus. As to his humanity, descended from David, by his resurrection from the dead, 
declared Son of God in the power of the Spirit. A gospel about Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, the King, Son of God. Not here primarily a statement about the Trinity, I don't think, but about authority, the divinely appointed, eternal and glorious King, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the gospel. David Seckham, in his book, uh, The Gospel and the Kingdom, calls it uh, an announcement of regime change. Might be good news, might be bad news, depending on your uh, relation with the regime. Here's the gospel. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Regime change. Now, when Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel, he's aware that for many the gospel is a shameful thing. In Rome... Caesar is king. It was treason to give your allegiance to another. But the king to whom Christians give their allegiance, not a mighty general, not a conqueror, a carpenter, and worse, he'd been crucified under Pontius Pilate. So, as we know, Paul puts it this way in Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified, foolishness to Gentiles, and a stumbling block to Jews. Nothing intellectually appealing or winsomely persuasive about this story of the man nailed to a cross, naked, weak, humiliated. The resurrection was not only foolishness to Gentiles, it was distasteful since they thought that the, uh, uh, the soul uh, liberated from the body was close to the divine, not the body made to live again. And for the Jews, crucifixion meant God's curse, not victory. Uh, recently, I had lunch with an eminent retired Jewish lawyer, Kanishka, he said to me, the Messiah cannot be crucified. And in our day too, I need hardly say, there is reason for being ashamed of the gospel. It is unremittingly and unapologetically supernatural. Resurrection from the dead. Not a metaphor, not a symbol, not a trope. Physical, objective, historical, essential. And the way of Jesus, self-sacrifice, humility, service, forgiveness, holiness. These are not the virtues we most prize. And in practice, they look weak and foolish. And the people who practice them look weak and foolish. We can be made to feel ashamed of the gospel by the uh, onslaught of apparently wise and influential people who are completely dismissive of Jesus. Sometimes it's just the sense that the majority are against us. And we didn't need a census to tell us that. As Christianity has declined culturally and moral relativism has thrived, virtue culture, right-wrong culture, moral culture has been overtaken by an equally ancient and widespread honour and shame culture. Now, it's less important to do what is right 
and more important to do what is accepted. Honour is more important than truth. Avoiding shame is more important than doing the right thing. The gospel of Christ crucified and risen, unattractive, unconvincing, unbelievable, Paul is not ashamed. Why not? Two more reasons. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes and because in it the righteousness of God is revealed. We're only thinking about the first of those two. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. The God of Scripture is, of course, a God of immense power. And from the first chapter of the first book, we learn that he is able to bring worlds into existence by a word. The gospel is a word, an announcement concerning God's Son, declared King. And the Apostle tells us that this gospel is the place where human beings can experience God's power. God's power to save. The power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. No wonder he's not ashamed. No wonder he's eager to preach. God's power to bring salvation available to everyone equally. The gospel is not a weak thing, not a puny thing, not an optional thing. It's a no-shame gospel. It liberates us from fear and guilt and shame, and it fills us with truth and love and hope. The gospel is power to save. Encountering Jesus had transformed Saul of Tarsus forever. He became the leader of the sect he formerly hated. He suffered for the sake of proclaiming the greatness of the lordship of Jesus. He demonstrated in his ministry that God's purposes were not limited to the Jewish people, but embraced all the peoples of the earth. What he wrote, the Spirit sealed as scripture. Do not surrender your eagerness to preach the gospel. We, more than many others, have the opportunity and the privilege of seeing this power at work constantly in the lives of God's people as he transforms his own from one degree of glory to another and as he calls to himself the sheep who have been scattered across the world. Do not surrender your eagerness to preach this gospel which alone in the world raises the dead frees the guilty, secures eternity for creatures made in God's image. Do not surrender 
your eagerness to preach this gospel. It is the greatest treasure we have ever known. And you see it. And I see it. I would say that every church that uh, went online, how that happened, what a miracle. I could basically get my phone to keep time of my sermon. <laughs> I would say every church that did that had people who were strangers to God's love click on a link, absent-mindedly or deliberately, who knows. I would say that every church that ran a course for inquirers, online or in person, every church that has reopened its doors since COVID, I'd say just about every church has had contact in that time with people who would say they weren't Christian. And many of those people have begun to consider the claims of Christ and many of them have turned to Christ. Isn't that great? Isn't that kind? Isn't it glorious? Doesn't look like much, I suppose, from the perspective of the world. But in eternity, it will resound to the praise of the Lamb who was slain. Because the gospel is God's power for salvation for everyone who believes. Paul is eager to preach the gospel. He's not ashamed. It's God's power. And every, every one of you, I take it, dear brothers and sisters, has a story of coming to the Lord and coming to know the power of the gospel to save and transform in your own life. The gospel is personal, but it's not a matter of private opinion. It is objective historical reality. It is not a philosophy of life. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's not bland moralism or spiritual advice. And don't ever preach it as though it were. It is good, good news. The power of God that brings salvation. Eagerness explained, or at least partly explained. Uh, I want to conclude with just one reflection on the implications of Paul's eagerness. Eagerness applied. Paul says he's eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. That means he wants to preach the gospel message to people who are already Christians. Not because he thinks they are lacking in something, he hurries to say, so that I may encourage you and you may encourage me, so that we may be mutually encouraged in our faith. But the instrument of encouragement will be the gospel. What is the antidote to our reluctance, our hesitancy, our anxiety, our weariness, our shame? What is the antidote? Now, uh, we have turned the gospel into a series of short propositions that can be shared in a short space of time with a complete novice 
so that they can, in, a, uh, uh, in the course of um, flicking through eight pages of a small booklet, come to know the eternal truth of the almighty God, his purposes from before the beginning of creation to the, to the eternal reign of the crucified and risen son. We've done that. And it has been used millions and millions of times to bring God's gospel power for salvation to bear on the lives of individuals. But we must never think that the gospel is the eight-page booklet. For it is all that the scriptures have to say about the miraculous birth, the spotless life, the atoning death, the glorious resurrection, the triumphant ascension, the present reign, the imminent return of the Lord Jesus. Everything that God has promised in Scripture concerning his Son and all that he will do for his world and for us today and in eternity through Jesus. The gospel is an inexhaustible source of truth and life and light and hope in our gloomy and desperate and shriveled world, so indifferent to injustice and obsessed with self and indulgent and neglectful of others and equally contemptuous and ignorant of God. So here's my point. Since we have a no-shame gospel that is God's power of salvation for everyone who believes, which reveals God's righteousness, let us seek God's help by every possible means to be eager to preach the gospel to ourselves, to each other, to the world in conversation, in prayer, in grief, in expectation, in frustration. Lord, make us eager to speak life in Christ to one another so that we may be mutually encouraged in each other's faith. Let us speak to one another all the more of Jesus, the power of his grace, the beauty of his truth, the wisdom of his word, the majesty of his person, the tenderness of his love, the constancy of his prayer, the gentleness of his correction, the joy of his forgiveness, the gift of his spirit, the trustworthiness of his lordship. Have you got something better to talk about? And if God answers this prayer, then may it be that the faith of Moore College, of Nungalinya College, of God's people in Sydney and beyond might be known in all the world as was the faith of the Romans, those handful of house churches so hesitant and reluctant. And may it be that all God's people might say with the apostle, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God 
to bring salvation to everyone who believes. Amen.